the Infernal Symphony Pestilence podcast, the only podcast about the UK's most prolific metal band. Hello guys and welcome back to a brand new year and a brand new episode of the Infernal Symphony Pestilence podcast with me as ever your host Demonic Bishop and of course the sole contributor and band leader of the UK's most prolific and most interesting and unique and uh, creative uh, one man metal uh, band one uh, basically black metal and avant-garde music is the aim of the game and the order of business here um, of course we are midway through through our season uh, of episodes at the moment. This is episode six of season three of the Pestilence podcast. Very, very much appreciate everyone who tuned in last year. This is, of course, the very first episode of 2023. Wow, blimey. I cannot believe that I've been doing this for almost six years now and, uh, you know, potentially even longer than that. But uh, just what a year it was last year. I hope you all enjoyed the last episode. Of course, that was a Christmas themed episode, although we didn't really talk about it very much apart from the last 10, 15 minutes at the end. Although I would like to say that, I, I you know, personally speaking, I actually really enjoyed that episode. It was fantastic to, uh, to research. It was really, really interesting to record. And it seems like you guys have responded very, very well to that as well, because uh, it seems like a lot of you enjoyed that episode as well. Well, I had a couple of people writing in to tell me about how excited they were that the podcast is back and, you know, how much they enjoyed the episode, thought it was really, really interesting and insightful. And, you know, this is just always the way it is, guys. You know, this is exactly what I try and do. Um, to the best of my ability as often as possible you know I'll always try and give you education and an insight uh, inspiration perhaps or maybe just a bit of light-hearted entertainment or maybe just a, a nice comforting familiar voice to listen to but um, you know whichever reason it is that you listen to this podcast for I very much appreciate it and I'm so so glad to have you on board and uh, with all that being said of course it is a new year uh, so we're going to be going into loads of new year themed uh, you know, themes and variations on the topic um, in, in this episode. Um, as I alluded to last month before Christmas, I, of course, wanted to talk about my um, own personal musical history and how I got into music uh, and, and specifically the kind of bands and genres that I started off with and how that progressed and how I basically moved from one genre to the other. Because historically, the metal genre has always been fairly difficult for people to get into. Of course, it was really only mainstream between the 70s and 90s. And then with the advent of new metal at the turn of the millennium, it kind of died down a bit. And over the past two decades, we've pretty much had more uh, prominence given to uh, genres such as pop music and hip hop. And uh, of course, newer genres such as rap and trap and all the rest of that malarkey as well. But, um, you know, to get back onto the point, um, of course, it's always been fairly difficult to get into. Metal has never been completely mainstream, but uh, there are always new people listening to metal, which is always appreciated, and particularly new people listening to this band as well. But uh, I wanted to go over how, how the experience was for me. Of course, as you get into the more extreme territories and genres such as black metal and uh, death metal and so on and so forth, sometimes it can be a bit of a challenge to wrap your head around that kind of music and, uh, you know, for one thing, deciphering lyrics, but also just trying to figure out why it is people get into these styles of music because, you know, I was there myself at one time, you know. I haven't always been into, you know, obscure Norwegian black metal bands and writing that kind of music myself or, you know, avant-garde foreign bands such as Dear and Grey, um, you know, non, non-English non speaking bands. There's, uh, you know, it was not that long ago that I pretty much only listened to bands such as Nickelback. So, you know, take it from me, even the most ardent, um, you know, elitists or black metal fans out there, even they had to start somewhere, guys. So this month, the main thing, which I have actually been putting off for a couple of months so far, and not out of, uh, you know, lack of wanting to talk about it, it's just more so been time constraints, really. But... Um, to cut a long story short, there's been a few months now that I've been wanting to talk about this and haven't actually gotten around to it just yet. So we're going to be going over that a little bit later on in this episode. And we've also got obviously the usual traditional New Year stuff that we always talk about on this podcast as well. Uh, namely, um, obviously the direction our, that Infernal Symphony as a band is going to be heading throughout the next 12 months. Um, I'm going to be detailing some of the um, 
you know, interesting new stuff I've been working on. I'm going to be, you know, taking the gift wrap off of some of the new secretive projects and albums I've been working on. And of course, you, uh, if you paid attention to the last month's edition of the podcast as well, you'll have heard of the uh, very, very early tentative look at the brand new album, which will be coming out in March called Evil Spirits. Um, but there's also other albums I'm going to be talking about that I'm working on at the moment. In fact, there is a brand new Dungeon Synth album, which is going to be on its way over the next four to eight weeks which i will be talking about in detail later on as well and of course we've got all the usual normal recurring monthly segments such as the incredibly well received metal archives deep dives um, we're going to be talking about a few other different things as well which um, obviously i'll be thinking about those more as we go because as usual i don't really have much of a plan in place for this episode um but uh yeah, we've got all sorts of different things to be talking about, and it looks like it's going to be a very, very exciting year for metal as a whole as well. Um, I'm going to be talking about some of the most anticipated new releases from bands, new and old, big and small, on this edition of the podcast to help get you psyched and help get you excited for the year ahead. Of course, there's always loads and loads of brilliant albums coming out on a weekly basis, it seems. And particularly so this year, you know, we've got loads of um, albums which have either been confirmed or have at least been hinted at from bands uh, and metal bands such as King Diamond, uh, Alice Cooper. We've got uh, hopefully a new Metallica album coming out over the next couple of years and uh, loads and loads of other different albums as well. So I'll be giving you my personal take on this. I'll be talking about some of my most anticipated albums this year, um, which could potentially actually be quite a short list, to be honest, because we had a whole wealth of different great albums over the last couple of months at the tail end of last year for example the new Megadeth album Stratovarius album Ozzy Osbourne album and Dear and Grey album they all came out in the third and fourth quarters of last year but that's just me personally so this um, month's edition of the podcast question on Spotify will also be which albums are you most excited to listen to coming up this year um, I've had a really good response actually to some of those questions it's a new feature which has been available to me on Anchor as I've been recording these over the past six months or so um, and it's been great to see Anchor finally get sort of enveloped by Spotify because it's finally given me some new tools uh, not only for analytics and insights but also to provide more engagement with you guys as well of course you've always been able to send in voice messages so if you go to anchor.fm forward slash infernal symphony and you've got anything in exciting or interesting to say to me or you want to ask any questions feel free to send those voice messages in guys i will always listen to them and, and you know reply to them any of the good ones they will be featured on this podcast as well in the future but instead of that if you'd prefer to be slightly more anonymous you can of course answer those questions on spotify as well if, if you're listening and of course this podcast can also be accessed from many different numerous great podcast sources such as overcast uh, anchor itself and uh, of course the new infernal symphony pestilence podcast website as well which of course is infernal symphonies pestilence podcast.wordpress.com um but i think that's enough self-promotion for one intro so you know we've got loads and loads of stuff to cover this month guys um i'm i'm wondering actually whether i'm going to be able to fit it all in um so all of that and more in store for you to come guys i really hope you enjoy me uh talking at you for the next hour or so and i really hope you're along for the ride so without any further ado let's have a little quick coffee break let's get interested and let's hopefully figure out what we're going to do for the rest of this episode so thanks guys hopefully you had a great christmas and new year and i very much appreciate you coming on board with me for another edition of the pestilence podcast take care i'll be back in just a sec Hello guys, I'm back. So yes, um, it is the start of a brand new year and all is go in Infernal Symphony land at the moment. Um, as you may remember, we released six full-length albums last year, but we have many, many more to come this year as well. In fact, I have three of them completely finished and ready to go at present. Uh, one of them you know a little bit about already, um, Evil Spirits, but I won't really be talking much more about that until probably next month's edition of the podcast because of course it will come out the month after that. 
So instead, uh, to kind of bridge that gap a little bit, I'm going to be talking about uh, a brand new album which has just been announced on the Facebook page a little bit later on in this episode, um, which of course is called Enveloped by the Rotten. And uh, it's the first new album from us this year. It, uh, it was basically another Dungeon Synth album, which not only follows on from the uh, last Dungeon Synth album I did last year, Immortality, but it is also the third and final album in the Remains trilogy of albums. It is the finale of this trilogy, which started all the way back in our first year of releasing music in 2017, with, of course, our critically acclaimed and most commercially successful album, Psychopathic Remains, our third album, which came out in October 2017. So, yes, after a long, long wait, you know, it's been a full six years now at this point, and, uh, you know, since that album came out, the very first one, and finally that trilogy comes to a close uh, next month which of course is going to be February and Enveloped by the Rotten is a fantastic album I'm going to be going into a lot more detail about that album's uh, construction and inspiration and the writing recording sessions uh, surrounding that a little bit later on and I'm also going to be playing you a brand new and exclusive track from that album a month ahead of schedule as well so make sure you keep your eyes peeled for that and listen out for that um, of course, it is, again, the start of the new year, so we're going to be going also into a lot of the most interesting news stories regarding the heavy metal scene uh, for this year. Uh, so, uh, let's, uh, you know, without any further ado, let's crack on and get straight on into that, shall we? Uh, before we do, if you'd like to listen to any more of our music as well, you can also head to infernalsymphonyuk.bandcamp.com, which is where you'll find all of our most recent music as well as the entire back catalogue and discography of ours stretching back for over the past six years or so. Uh, typically we release about five albums a year on average and this means that there's a hell of a lot of stuff there for you to check out. Uh, you can also subscribe to the Heathens Club for £3 a month in um, British pound sterling. This basically not only allows you to listen to every single album we've ever made, but it also gives you exclusive access to the new albums first, as well as give you access to uh, a massive chat room with all other fellow Infernal Symphony fans, and of course direct um, contact with me as well, including all sorts of uh, other bonuses such as uh, scratch tracks, demo tracks, you know, exclusive behind-the-scenes photos and videos, and tons more besides. But, uh, yeah, now we've got all that out of the way, let's talk about some of the things that are going to be happening this year. So, I suppose probably two of the biggest events that I'm aware of, at least, this year that are going to be coming up is, of course, the, you know, the legendary rock band KISS, are expected to conclude their end of the road world tour this year um, and their final show is actually to take place in their hometown of New York. Now I'm as, just as uh, you know bemused and surprised as anybody to to know that this is going ahead because of course this end of the road tour has been going on for the past four years or more now and it isn't even the first time that KISS has actually decided to call it a day. Of course um, some of the old people listening to this in attendance will of course be aware that they actually I, I believe it was their first farewell tour was in the late 80s or early 90s potentially and then obviously they reformed in the mid 2000s with a new lineup but uh, just like other um, bands such as Judas Priest and Ozzy Osbourne, a lot of these long-running heavy metal bands really do have a tendency of calling it quits a bit prematurely, and Kiss are obviously no exception. Um, but of course they are a massive band, they're very, very influential, you know, and they do have some very good songs as well. And uh, of course, um, you know, all jokes uh, and, and humorous, you know, connotations aside, it will be sad to see them finally hang up the gigantic platform boots once and for all when that occurs. Um, of course, one of the other massive news stories, which I somehow have managed to not really refer to very much um, over this podcast season so far, was of course at the tail end of last year, we had the incredibly um, unanticipated news of the surviving members of Pantera reforming. Um, Rex Brown and Phil Anselmo, of course, are going to be reuniting for the band's first world tour in more than two decades this year as well, with obviously Zach Wilde of Ozzy Osbourne and Black Label Society fame filling in for the late great Dimebag Darrell, and of course the Anthrax drummer Charlie Benante filling in for Vinnie Paul, who unfortunately passed away a few years back as well. So, uh, of course, there may well be more than this that occurs, um, especially because, um, of course, this uh, this uh, podcast episode is actually being recorded 
just before New Year. So there may well be stuff that happens in the next couple of weeks, which basically aren't uh, included here. But, uh, you know, if I've missed out anything, feel free to send me a voice message or send me a message on Spotify. And I'll definitely get into that next podcast. And so uh, for yet another section of this edition of the podcast, uh, the very first episode of the brand new year of 2023. Blimey, last year was a great year, wasn't it? Let's just be uh, brutally honest about that. I mean, you know, for once we were finally free of the shackles of COVID, you know, all sorts of different interesting things cropping up, everything from Elon Musk's takeover of Twitter to, uh, you know, various different medical uh, enhancements and scientific discoveries. Uh, Of course, last year we found out that for the very first time in history the country of the uk is finally no longer a christian nation it is now actually a completely secular nation or uh, you know at least the majority is secular you know so many different things too many different things to list but uh, for me personally one of my greatest personal achievements was of course the bubonic uh, destiny written in legend dp which of course was my very first ever foray into proper dungeon synth uh, of course, that came out at the start of December. Something I didn't actually get a chance to go into in that uh, episode, though. Last month's episode and the Christmas episode is basically because it was such a last-minute thing that actually occurred after that episode had already aired. I actually put out another Dungeon Synth EP as well, guys. Yes, so you've probably noticed this by now. I mean... If you didn't, I certainly can't blame you because, of course, you know, it is the festive season or at least it was, you know, it's the, you know, it was very, very busy. Christmas is always a busy time of year for everybody. You know, you're seeing family, you've got things to buy, things to wrap, people to visit. So I totally get it. But personally for me one of my proudest achievements of the entire year last year was basically the very last thing that infernal symphony released that of course namely being the saturnalia ep which is the second dungeon synth thing i put out and it was quite a crowning achievement for me in numerous ways so i'm going to spend a brief period here just talking about it for you hopefully not boring you to tears so i'll only give this a quick five or ten minutes or so and then obviously we can move on to bigger and uh, more interesting things that lead up into you know the year ahead but uh, i did really want to just put a little bit of a spotlight on this guys because it was something that i was immensely proud of personally it was a very very uh, interesting thing it was one of the most excitingly you know innovative and uh, dare i say it um you know daring things i've ever attempted as a band so far um, because for those who don't know, this is a 30 minute long EP, a dark ambient and dungeon synth EP. You could even describe it as winter synth, but it's essentially seven tracks clocking in at 30 minutes in length. And the entire thing was recorded, mixed, mastered and produced front to back in seven hours. Yes, that's right, guys. I literally started and finished the EP on the very same day and 24 hours later, a mere 24 hours later, it emerged on Bandcamp in all of its glory for the world to digest and listen to. Um, you know, it's st- you know, it basically stands on the precipice between genius and insanity, this kind of thing. But, you know, the diabolical Yuletide spirit of madness was flowing through me, as was, you know, the creative juices. Um, and, you know, it was a really, really good achievement for me. It sounds really cool. Um, I'd take some chances on this album. You know, certain things I would probably have not attempted on any other kind of release. Typically on my full-length albums, as those of you who are long-term listeners to uh, my music will be well aware by now, I don't necessarily stick to a formula, let's say. But, you know, there are certain things that I will attempt um, and experiment with on EPs. And if I feel that they are successful, I'll obviously continue those on into the full lengths. You know, because they're basically the longest releases I do. They're the ones that I hopefully feel that best represent Infernal Symphony's overall sound and trajectory and, you know, the direction we're taking at any given time. But the EPs are just a nice way for me to just sort of establish different things and experiment, try out different things that may or may not necessarily carry on into the future legacy of the band. Um, so it had seven tracks on it. Um, 
many of which are over four minutes long, which is pretty unique for Dungeon Synth. Uh, a lot of them either tend to be extremely long epics or incredibly short tracks. So a lot of these are sort of middling in length. There's some really, really awesome, incredibly weird and fairly modern sounds on there, mixed with some very, very sort of lo-fi and comfy uh, retro nostalgic sounds on there as well. Um, there's all sorts of different sounds, everything from harpischords to harps to keyboards to uh, timpanis and all sorts of interesting instruments on there, as well as some audio samples as well. Um, the concept of the EP, uh, again, you know, being written and recorded so quickly, kind of materialised out of thin air, really. But given that I was feeling very inspired and, you know... Obviously, it's been difficult for numerous different years, and some of that still lingered on. And of course, sometimes it's difficult to get into the Christmas spirit, you know, when you're worrying about finances and about the state of the global economy and about various different things, such as the, you know, the cost of living crisis, the fact that it's very difficult to afford to get food for many people in the UK and across the world right now. You know, there's a lot of different problems going on in the world that makes it very difficult to focus on enjoying yourself. And um, I wanted to represent that in a way that kind of you know, made sense within the festive tradition. And of course, us being a satanic band, an atheist band, it made sense to compare Santa to Satan. And of course, um, you know, that led on to things such as the uh, the German Krampus legend and uh, the Jolopuki um, Finnish version of Krampus as well. So I wanted to juxtapose it. I wanted to say, right, well, if Santa's dead, who's going to replace him? And, uh, you know, the same thing goes for the fact that, well, there's no evidence for God, so clearly... The Antichrist is going to make an appearance now as well. So uh, it kind of talks about all these different types of things. Um, the uh, track number one is called Myths Made in Desperation. Track two is Uncomfortable Truths of the Gods. Track three was Saturnalian Sacrifice. Track four was In the Wake of the Melting Blizzard. Track five is Hecatubayan Pleasures. Track six is Freeing the Souls into Eternity. And track seven is A Feast for the Senses. And of course, all of these things sound fairly random. But of course, if you put them in the context of the theme of the album, it totally makes sense. Of course, the namesake of the album, the eponymous Saturnalia, was of course a very, very uh, rigorous... Um, well, it was basically an extremely ancient Roman festival, um, which, you know, inspired, and in many cases, the Christians directly sort of ripped off, along with various other pagan traditions, such as Yule as well. But Saturnalia was essentially the uh, the ancient precursor to, to, uh, to Christmas. So, you know, they used to do all different kinds of things there. They used to uh, pick a Lord of Misrule who would uh, basically be the king for the day and they could basically make people do whatever they wanted for 24 hours. Really, really mischievous and interesting. Uh, they had various different feasts and games that they used to play. They actually even used to give each other gifts and stuff. And of course, a lot of this stuff is hundreds, if not thousands of years before Jesus was ever dreamt up. Um, so, you know, I thought it was a really interesting concept for uh, for a release. Um, it covers everything from dark ambient and dungeon synth sounds, as I mentioned, as well as elements of atmospheric noise rock and progressive rock. And there's some really, really interesting, uh, as I say, samples and stuff on there. So the major thing for me was I've obviously released a lot of music at this point, And, you know, I had at least seven full length album releases in 2022 alone. So I really wanted to do something that was a little bit different, a bit out of the box. Um, obviously something fairly topical given that it was Christmas. Um, I mean, even just look at the artwork, even the artworks Christmas inspired, you know, you've got a bit of a, uh, well, there's a huge skull, which uh, takes center stage, which is implied to be the corpse of Santa Claus himself. Um, you know, there's cobwebs, there's, uh, you know, dead wintry trees. Um, there's sort of like a, a green and yellow glow of potentially some fairy lights. So it's very ominous and very in keeping with the season. Um, so, yeah, I was really, really impressed with the results of it. It seemed like a, a lot of you guys embraced it as well, which was really, really heartening to see. Um, you know, I love it when something like this goes well. It always provides me with endless enthusiasm and encouragement to try and, you know, continue to experiment and dare to do new things in the future. And uh, for those of you who haven't checked it out, of course, the moment has slightly passed a little bit now, given that we're now into January. But uh, you never know. If you just take the cover art and uh, the name and leave that to one side, just listening to the music itself is a very interesting process anyway. So I urge you guys to check it out if you, ha if you didn't. 
or if you somehow missed it. And, you know, I just thought it was worth acknowledging because it did do pretty well. And personally, it was a very good achievement for me. I really wanted to see how far I could push the boundaries and just how, you know, how much my skills have improved. And I thought the best way to test it was to try and see just how good quality of release I could manage if I gave myself an extremely excruciatingly strict time frame and, you know, a really strict deadline or schedule. So, yeah, that's uh, the Saturnalia EP, guys. Hopefully, you, those of you who did listen to it out there really enjoyed it. I certainly enjoyed making it. Um, and I just wanted to, like I say, just give that a bit of a shout out and a mention for those who might have missed it. Um, but that's that out of the way. It's just about been 10 minutes now. So, uh, yeah, hopefully you've been enjoying the episode so far, guys. Make sure you stick around for the, all the exciting stuff we've got for the rest of the episode. And, of course, the next couple of episodes that we have remaining until season four. So thanks for listening, guys. And I'll be back in a second. So, of course, those are the most major uh, upcoming events that are hopefully going to be coming out or at least happening at some point this year. However, we also have an absolute wealth of bands with either music in pre-production currently or have actually uh, fully announced um, albums which are going to be coming out as well this year. So, some of the biggest albums which have already been expected and announced include the album Neon Noir by the artist Double V, um, the brand new In Flames album Foregone, which is scheduled to come out at some point in February and the new Dope album called Blood Money Part Zero on the 24th of February as well. Um, we also have the new album from Chelsea Green entitled Suffer in Heaven coming out 17th of March and these are pretty much the only albums so far which have been completely outlined um, so far. However, we have an absolute ginormous wealth of artists with material currently in production which are hopefully expected to come out at some point later this year as well um and not including uh, you know yours truly infernal symphony as well of course i'll be actually going into a little bit more detail over the numerous albums i'm hoping to put out this year later on in this episode but uh, we have albums expected from the likes of Accept, some of my favourite bands such as Airborne and Anthrax um of course there's a new as i lay dying album and avatar uh, Candle Mask, Coroner, uh, Dark Angel, and of course, uh, you know, bigger bands such as Disturbed and American prog metal band Dream Theatre expected to come out with albums. We also have the sixth album upcoming from UK Thrashers Evile, um, and of course, Acid Rain, which is another UK local thrash band as well, which are going to be coming out with a new album again, finally, as well. Um, XDO have an EP coming out. We have albums expected from the likes of Heathen, Helix and Judas Priest. Killswitch Engage are going to be giving us a bit more metalcore. And, of course, there is also the long-awaited um, expectation of the brand-new album from King Diamond called The Institute coming out, which, uh, I mean, to be honest, this is about the third year in a row that it was supposed to be coming out uh, at this point. Of course, we had our first taste of new diamond music uh with the brand new track which came out in i think 2019 now um called the masquerade of madness which i actually thought was a really really brilliant track uh but apparently the institute is going to finally make its way towards us at some point this year of course there were numerous delays with this uh you know um you know the pandemic notwithstanding but also the unexpected reformation of merciful fate a couple of years back as well which kind of took priority for him so you know, it's kind of, uh, you know, it's expected and, you know, you can kind of forgive these sorts of things. Um, but at the end of the day, you know, King Diamond is a middle-aged man who is approaching 70 and had a heart attack not too long ago. So I really hope he pulls his finger out and gets this album out sooner rather than later. Um other than that, we have a new Morbid Saint album, finally, as well as Overkill album, uh, Sacred Reich, Sodom, uh, Testament, and Vector as well. So they're just some of my personal highlights that I'm looking forward to this year. What are yours? I'd love for you to tell me. So get yourselves in those Spotify comment sections. Send us your feedback. Tell us what are your most anticipated albums for this year. I'm incredibly excited to find out exactly what those are. And uh, I'll be... Yeah, giving a bit of a rundown on those next month in the next episode of the podcast so uh, so that's pretty much just a brief little overview of some of the things we've uh, got to get excited about this year 
Of course, um, there's amazing different things going on for Infernal Symphony this year as well. Um, as I seem to say pretty much every single year, I am certainly hoping to put a little bit more band merch out this year. I've actually saved some money up for once in my life to actually finally put together some T-shirts. I'm actually uh, just perusing different designs and different uh, uh, printing companies as we speak. But uh, yes, those long-awaited and long-promised um Infernal Symphony band t-shirts are finally going to be making their way towards you at some point this year as well. Um, basically, the printing process was a little bit more involved than I anticipated. So usually I create all the album artwork and so on um, myself. And I didn't actually realize just how much detail and how many different kinds of uh, things go into t-shirt printing. Of course, there's loads of different colors that are necessary and different techniques that are needed, different file sizes and file types that are required, which I basically had no knowledge of until I started looking into this more seriously about six months ago. So it is a long, slow process. Of course, I'm doing a lot of this on my own, but um, I will be looking into that, guys. But of course, make sure you head to the uh, Bandcamp page or onto my link tree to support me financially if you can because that is basically the easiest way to get this going a little bit quicker. I've had quite a few different people ask for merch and t-shirts over the years and it's always been a priority of mine. It's always been a goal, but uh, suffice to say, particularly with the most recent uh, cost of living crisis we've been having recently, it has basically been a, quite a big challenge to uh, get around to that. But, you know, I stick to my word. You know, I'm definitely trying my hardest to make this a reality for you guys. So thanks very much for all of those who have supported and contributed so far. Um, I'm actually thinking about announcing some sort of scheme where if you already pre-ordered the t-shirts, then um, I will basically ensure that you get one for free at a discounted price um, uh, once they're finally made. So, But that's all a bit of a pipe dream at the moment. I don't really want to announce anything specific about that at this stage. So stay tuned for that for more updates on that. Um, so now that we've got this sort of introductory type stuff out of the way, um, I think it's about time that we started to talk about some of the major things that we also wanted to cover this month, which I mentioned last month as well. Namely, of course, um, my own personal journey into getting into music and, of course, heavy metal in general. Now, this is a really, really interesting story. Those of you who are long-time listeners to the podcast will be more than aware that I very much like the sound of my own voice and I love talking about myself to the point where some would consider me to be a little bit of a narcissist. And uh, I think at this stage, I probably wouldn't really disagree with you, but... Uh, Hey-ho, it fills up time in the podcast and you never know, you might find something to enjoy or, uh, um, you know, pique your interest here. And it may very well give you a bit more inspiration to check out some new bands which you've been putting off. Who knows? But um, yes, to anyone listening out there who is already not a fan of heavy metal, firstly, what the hell are you doing? But secondly, thanks for listening. Um, for those of you out there who may be inspiring or aspiring musicians out there who are just starting to cobble together a band or just starting to write your own music or put together lyrics, um, you know, this is probably one of the most interesting things you're going to hear all year. And I can say this because, of course, it's only a week in. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, um, you know, carry on staying uh, tuned to this and listening because it's going to be very, very entertaining, hopefully. So, Basically, um, I started listening to music seriously when I was about eight or nine years old. Of course, uh, you know, I've, I've told many different stories about Inferno Symphony at this point on the podcast. Most of them have involved the actual band itself and the music I create, but I've never really gone much further back than that, apart from once or twice. Um, my father was basically a uh, musician um, in his younger days. He's uh, 70 years old this year. Can you believe it? Bloody hell. That's a scary thought. But, um, but yeah, he was always interested in music and he still listens to music regularly now. But um, when I was a kid, he basically converted our garage into basically a big rehearsal space, more or less, for him and a few of his buddies at the time um, when they were in their 40s. They formed a band called BDI, which I've gone on to in the podcast before. Um, obviously not a very well-known band in, in any stretch of the imagination, but they certainly made some interesting music that was kind of prog rock inspired. You know, it was... Uh, you know, sort of the sauerkraut rock of the German bands such as Tangerine Dream and uh, Kraftwerk and some of the other, you know, early electronic experimental music. Though. So they were inspired by that kind of thing. And um, a lot of those influences rubbed off on me as well. Um, the very first instrument I ever tried playing was a piano and I swiftly moved on to the keyboard as well. Um, and I very much enjoyed the keyboard and it was only uh, uh, pretty much the only instrument I played up until I was about 15 years of age when I was given my first bass guitar for my 18th birthday. No, 15th birthday, rather. Um, sorry, that was a bit of a fart. You can see where this story is going, can't you? But um, 
Oh, fucking hell, that stinks. Anyway, um, I'll try and put that to one side for now. So the first bands that I really got uh, into myself would be uh, probably bands such as Linkin Park. They were a band that were brand new at the time, of course, in the year 2000 when their first album, Hybrid Theory, came out. I would have literally only been nine years old. Up until that point, I was obviously listening, um, you know, to the influencers and favourite bands of my parents, um, but through osmosis, you know, via long car journeys and the like. Uh, so everything from Michael Jackson to Tangerine Dream to uh, Kate Bush to, uh, um, you know, the Beach Boys and uh, the Monkeys. These were all different things that were on regular rotation in my childhood. But the very first band I ever got into of my own volition was Linkin Park. And I can't really explain exactly what it was that sort of attracted me to them at the time. Bear in mind, I was still very young. I was only nine years old, but there was something about the combination of very, very catchy melodies, very, very interesting lyrics. You know, it was very, very streetwise at that time. You know, the early 2000s was basically the absolute, uh, you know, pinnacle of new metal at the time. And at that point, being so young, I hadn't really been exposed to very much actual heavy metal uh, or any of the classical great bands or influential bands at that point. So they were completely brand new to me. It was completely incredible. Um, and, um, you know, the singing, it was so varied. Of course, there was rap in there, which was, which was the style at the time. Uh, but it was also obviously very, very good melodic clean singing in very high registers, as well as extremely intense growled vocals as well by the late, great Chester Bennington, rest his soul. So, uh, needless to say, I and millions of others across the globe were swept up by the band in their heyday. Um, and it's a shame they're still not going now, of course, for obvious reasons. But, uh, yeah, I, I remember quite clearly, uh, you know, doing very, very rudimentary singing along to those songs um, in my karaoke machine at the time. And uh, I think that that and playing the keyboard was basically the genesis of me getting into interested in music in the first place. Um now, uh, you know, a lot of people like to rag on bands such as Linkin Park and Nickelback and, uh, you know, even newer bands such as Bullet For My Valentine or uh, newer still bands such as Imagine Dragons or, you know, uh, Bring Me The Horizon or uh, Black Veil Bride, stuff like this. Um, and, you know, there's probably loads of other newer bands which I haven't even heard of or, or on my radar uh, because, of course, new bands come out all the time. But, of course, there's a heavy amount of elitists in heavy metal, unfortunately. Um, it's just the nature of the beast. It's the way the metal community works. It always has done. But, uh, obviously, it's very, very um, trendy and very, very funny these days in the internet edge to take the piss out of bands like this. But the fact remains that many of these bands, although, obviously, majority of those do, uh, you know, tend to age out of them or grow out of them eventually... You know, you can't get rid of these bands um, because bands such as Linkin Park and Slipknot and some of the other bands I've talked about may not be the heaviest or the catchiest or, you know, maybe the most creative bands out there, but they get the job done. And what I mean by that is, you know, metal such a niche genre at times and it can be so convoluted and so obscure and so, uh, so uh, you know, completely outside the normal spectrum of music that which is in the mainstream that you need bands like this to basically get people on board in the first place. You need to have some sort of, uh, you know, entry level bands, some kind of gateway bands to help people ease their toes in gently. Um, and this is a very, very unique trend that you see with metal that you don't really tend to see with the majority of other genres as well, with a few exceptions. Of course, things such as punk and uh, dubstep and some of the other similar bedfellows to heavy metal uh, feature this to a certain extent as well. But it's not as if, you know, you tend to see people saying, oh, well, you know, uh, with pop, like you can't just dive straight into the gorillas, like you've got to listen to Justin Bieber first. It just doesn't work that way. And the thing is, because, you know, for all of its great qualities, um, a genre like pop is basically more or less the same sort of thing, regardless of which kind of uh, artist you're talking about. You know, it usually tends to follow a 4-4 beat. It usually tends to have the similar sort of lyrical themes and, uh, you know, song structures. Um, whereas with metal, there's a hell of a lot more variety and a lot of it is buried way, way below the surface. Um, if you picture an iceberg, you know, you can think of these entry level bands as the, the very, very, you know, foremost point of the iceberg that you tend to see um, out in the open. Whereas, as we all know, only about five to 10% of an iceberg is above the surface of the sea level. And the majority of it, the most heaviest, weightiest bit of it is completely hidden from view. And this is the exact same with heavy metal as well. The deeper you go, 
the heavier, darker and more extreme and more obscure and niche it gets. And this is exactly why sometimes for certain people it can take a, a long time to get into some of these more extreme music genres. Uh, obviously, this isn't always the case. You know, I know people who, uh, you know, were 14 and 15 and still listening to bands such as Cradle of Filth and, uh, and Dark Throne. But that set, tends to be the exception rather than the rule. And I was very much the rule um, because, uh, you know, it wasn't really until I got to about the age of 17 or 18. So pretty late, really, that I started to really develop my own unique personal musical taste. Um I think some of this kind of um, is was probably influenced by the fact that uh, I, like many teenagers, particularly of an alternative persuasion, got heavily bullied at school. And this sometimes prevents you, unfortunately, from being the individual that you want to be. And sometimes you get swept up in the latest trends or, you know, uh, you know, the various goings on, basically just to avoid being singled out or being branded as weird. Um, so my advice to any of you out there who are listening to this, who are 15 or younger, firstly, um, I hope you got your parents permission for this because there's usually some uh, profanity on this podcast. Uh, but I also would like to commend you as well for listening to a very satanic, um, music related podcast. So well done you, you're doing something right. But, um, but yeah, essentially, um, there's a lot of different things which go into an individual's music taste. And for me, um, I had to start at the bottom and work my way up. I started with Linkin Park. I briefly uh, flirted with some dubstep and stuff, which was also in vogue as well. Uh, but the the second, I would say, my probably second biggest infatuation music-wise would have been Motorhead, which, of course, are a new wave of British heavy metal band. One of the most innovative and influential uh, UK rock and roll bands, you could say, um, from the 20th century. They obviously started, um, you know, they were basically the very first band to introduce double bass uh, kick drum into the music and basically with the progenitors of thrash metal and uh, you know speed metal as well so you know incredibly influential band of course most uh, mainstream you know music listeners or you know quite casual listeners will probably mostly just know them for their breakout hit ace of spades which is that uh, sort of all over the place you sometimes hear it in places such as costa coffee and wh smith weirdly um but uh um, I really got into their back catalogue pretty heavily. Um, partially it was influenced because of the fact that I was in various bands at the time. Uh, in particular, for those of you who have listened to this podcast long enough, you'll know that at that time of my life, I was in a band called Spectre, which was basically a, a jam band, which I formed with some schoolmates. And we had a bit of a rivalry going on at the time, for better or worse, to figure out which was the best band that we were all listening to at the time. And the drummer Dave was massively uh, a big fanboy of Dream Theatre. And at the time when I first listened to Dream Theatre, I'd never heard anything like it in my entire life. The level of musicality and skill was just completely and t- utterly off the charts. I'd never, ever heard anything like it in my entire life. Um and uh, you could argue that still is the case today, apart from a few exceptions, such as uh, Arc Spire and uh, you know other bands such as that. But uh, to cut a long story short, I basically got into Motorhead primarily as to try and find some sort of rudimentary competition to Dream Theatre, as silly as it sounds. Of course, these days I'm a lot older and more mature and realise that music doesn't, you know rise and fall primarily on the skill or the technical proficiency or the speed that which you know of which it is played it is all about the the tone and the genre and the ambiance and the kind of emotions it evokes and a million if different other things but uh, at that time I was primarily focused on bands that had very very influential histories a very very big back catalogue and you know very very novel instrumentation that was very technically proficient and Motorhead didn't quite get me where I wanted to be but uh, you know with the tracks such as Ace of Spades and Overkill and Bomber um, and uh, Kill by Death to name but a few they rapidly became one of my favourite bands and superseded um, Linkin Park for the time being because of course by that point they had started to wane a little bit and weren't quite as much in the public eye and at this stage I was still primarily as well quite influenced by what was popular with other people again Looking back in hindsight, that was quite a big mistake. These days, I would always encourage people to seek out any kind of music that you like and don't give an absolute shit about what anyone else thinks because that is the first mistake down the path of, you know, playing into other people's uh, opinions rather than your own, which, of course, are the most important. Um, In between those two bands, um, I also flirted with uh, listening to Nirvana for a brief period as well and many other grunge bands such as Local H as well. Uh... 
Jimmy Will, which you could class as an emo band. But, uh, of course, emo was a big thing 15, 20 years ago as well. Um, and I was born slightly too um, too early to basically be an emo kid. Um, but uh, some of that did kind of, you know, blend into my rotation now and again, primarily because it was so homogenous and absolutely everywhere that you just couldn't avoid it. And, of course, some of my music taste was also influenced by video game soundtracks at the time as well. I've already gone into the fact that I uh, obviously found my true love, Megadeth, through Guitar Hero 2. Um, but there's also loads of other bands from various different games, for example, such as the Guitar Hero series and the Tony Hawk's Pro Skater series. But also other uh, you know series such as the WWE, wrestling games, and uh, the Burnout series, to name but a few. Which, you know, this was the time period where video games were finally starting to embrace commercial licensed music as opposed to their own original soundtracks so this also um you know being a massive game uh, fan and gamer uh, really introduced me to a hell of a lot of new stuff i didn't listen to before that as well uh, i'm gonna have a quick short break here guys we're going to continue the story just after this break hopefully you've enjoyed it so far and we'll be wrapping it up after that to give you a little bit of info on the brand new upcoming infernal symphony album enveloped by the rotten so uh, make sure to use this as an opportunity to grab some snacks and a drink and i'll be back in just a sec So, of course, after, uh, you know, getting into Motorhead and some of the other bands I already mentioned there, um, of course, um, it's going to be absolutely no surprise to anyone who even remotely has listened to this at all or followed me in any way or knows me personally. And I'm not going to go heavily into this because I've already done this at numerous different stages on various different episodes of the podcast and various other online outlets as well. But essentially, um, those of you who know me will know that obviously my favourite band of all time is, of course, the mighty Megadeth, one of the big four of Thrash. I got into them when I was about 15 years old uh, through Guitar Hero 2. I mentioned this last month and on several other episodes in this season alone. So obviously I've already uh, you know, trodden that path pretty well worn at this point. There's no need to go over it much more than that. But uh, of course, getting into thrash was quite a big deal for me at the time. It was one of the most important musical genres and of course a lot of teenagers get into thrash and you know um at that point um i thought that it was pretty much the be all and end all of my musical journey and it was literally the best genre that had ever ever happened and of course uh, thrash is still incredibly very near and dear to me um but you know you know how it is you know when you're a teenager um you know you tend to think that you know everything you know it all uh, you're completely untouchable and that was certainly me and uh, once I'd basically discovered Magdeth and branched out after that point later on into a lot of the various other thrash bands um, you know obviously the rest of the big four and uh, you know and, and loads and loads of other bands I mean the thing is for thrash considering that it's heyday really only lasted for about half a decade the amount and the wealth of incredible bands that came out from all across the globe truly is absolutely astonishing so you know if you get into thrash there's definitely a hell of a lot of good stuff out there waiting for you as for people trying to get into this style of music obviously it's a lot faster and with much greater tempos than most other kinds of metal uh, particularly if you follow along chronologically you know at the time when thrash came out it was pretty much on the cusp of the uh, you know a revolution in, uh, with regard to metal because of course it, it was basically the precursor to such genres such as death metal and uh, black metal and of course both of those with some exceptions, um, increased the tempos even further from Thrash in terms of how fast the songs were played. Um, but, uh, you know, there is something to be said for Thrash in that it isn't quite as extreme as some of those other kinds of genres, and obviously ones that followed on after that as well. For me, uh, particularly at that point, it was the perfect blend of brutality and melody and fast, punky thrash, you know, fast fast pace as well, which is, uh, you know, completely a absolutely awesome uh, combination. Um, you know, there are times where I think, uh, obviously, some progressive metal bands, for example, go a bit too complex. The same sort of argument can be made for, made for uh, certain death metal bands that are overly brutal and so low and so heavy that they're just unlistenable, or at least I felt at the time. And then, of course, there are certain black metal bands which are just so raw and so you know uh, basically fast uh, you know with the tremolo picking and so on you know these are the sort of types of uh, you know elements of these genres which can make it quite difficult for newcomers to get into them on occasion um so this is a message to all of you out there who perhaps are intrigued by these kinds of styles of metal but just haven't managed to get yourself into them yet it certainly does take a long time to get attuned to them um for numerous different reasons. I mean, 
you know, for some people it can be the vocals or the vocal approach. Obviously, for example, Megadeth's Dave Mustaine doesn't have, um, you know, probably what would be classed as a, uh, you know, an orthodox, you know, good singing voice. You know, he certainly has his idiosyncrasies and there's certain things which turn people off. But, um, you know, you can't deny that it's certainly iconic and instantly recognisable. And the same sort of thing can be said for various other genres, whether it's the vocals. Obviously, a lot of metal listeners, um, you know, just aren't into growled or heavy vocals. You know, a lot of them prefer operatic vocals. And the brilliant thing about metal, as I've sort of uh, hinted at earlier on in this episode, is that there are so many different kinds of genres out there. There's bound to be something for you, you know, whether you've... uh, you know, yet discovered it or not. So, for example, if you like operatic or clean singing, then there's various different multiple subgenres. For example, symphonic metal or power metal, to name but a few, as well as progressive metal. Um, there's a brilliant um, documentary actually called Metal a Headbanger's Journey from Banger Films, and there's also a separate documentary series called Metal Evolution, which I highly, highly recommend to anyone interested in learning more about the genealogy and the history of various different metal genres and what creates them. You know what kind of thing uh, falls under those banners and the sort of bands which pioneered those styles and are very much well known for them. Um, It's a fantastic learning experience and it's entertaining as well. Um, Just to give a bit of a personal anecdote, for example, for me... um, you know, as much as I just mentioned, I was heavily into thrash and I still am today. Um, Slayer, out of those four of the big four bands, of course, being Metallica, Megadeth, Anthrax and Slayer. Slayer were basically the band it took me the longest to get into. And I think that is partially because, uh, again, if you mention, you know, if you, if you think back to what I mentioned earlier with regard to the technical proficiency, of course, you know, there's no, uh, no disputing that Slayer are a very technically proficient band. But, uh, you know, their style of playing um, is certainly a lot more kind of chaotic, let's say, than some of the other bands in Thrash and, uh, you know, indeed in the Big Four. Um, Their solos aren't quite as, you know, sort of typically melodic. They're kind of all over the place. But it really works for the style that they're going for and the approach they're trying to take. Of course, it's a whole, you know, no holds barred, full on onslaught type of band that's absolutely brutal and chaotic and, you know, just balls to the wall. Um, whereas, for example, contrasting with Megadeth, for example, they're a little bit more refined, a bit more uh, technical in some areas, you know, a bit more uh, of a catchiness to them and hookiness. Um, so, you know, it's it's horses for courses. It's, you know, apples and oranges. It depends what kind of thing you're into. That said, about, uh, you know, I, of course, eventually did get into Slayer once I sort of it took a bit longer for it to click in my brain as to what they're, you know, what it was all about. And then eventually you just force yourself to listen to it long enough and suddenly it all makes sense. It all clicks and you go, oh, okay, now I get it. And this is the kind of perseverance that you sometimes have to have, uh, you know, when trying to broaden your metal horizons. Um, uh, So for me, I started with thrash. There's so many different amazing thrash bands. Of course, from there, I went into bands such as Overkill, Testament, Exodus and the rest of the Big Eight. And also some of the Teutonic bands such as Sodom and Creator. And then from there, I started to look for some of the more obscure bands as well. For example, bands such as Morbid Saints or uh, Artillery or, uh, I mean, Heathen. There's so many, so many good bands. And then, of course, at the time as well, I was it was quite lucky, really, because at the time I was getting into thrash, it just so happened that the new wave of thrash was beginning to emerge as well, uh, with uh, some pioneering bands of the new wave. Uh, for example, you know, here in my home, home country, bands such as Evile, and Acid Rain, well, sorry, not Acid Rain, they're one of the classic bands, uh, Pitiful Rain, which I sadly broke up after a few albums. And then, of course, he had a massive resurgence in America as well with the likes of Havoc and Vector and Skeleton Witch and Toxic Holocaust and Bonded by Blood and so many other amazing bands. Um, so, you know, the well is very deep if you go into thrash. And I basically stuck to thrash for a couple of years. And, of course, this also coincided with me joining Incinery, which, of course, are a thrash band as well. Um, so, you know, in my own personal case, it seems like a lot of my musical diversions and the route that my sort of path towards appreciating more styles of metal took was definitely very much influenced by the bands that I was a part of at the time. And, um, you know, since leaving Incinery, of course, I then moved into Sickened, which more of a heavier, slower band in some respects, but also insanely fast in others. And they were more influenced, of course, by the aforementioned Slayer, which is mainly what got me into them. Uh, but also other bands, for example, Cannibal Corpse and Slipknot, which, you know, for, you know, as a younger uh, metalhead when I was about 14, 15, I pretty much just wrote them off and poo-pooed them. 
you know, thinking, oh, you know, it's it's all that growled shit, <laughs> which, you know, in hindsight, looking back was a massive mistake because there's so many incredible bands that I really respect and look up to now with that style and approach. Um, and as I say, it's just, you know, your style and your taste and, uh, you know, what you're into definitely, you know, warps and matures as you age. Um, so, uh, you know, that was basically the catalyst that then allowed me to start getting into some uh, some of the heavier bands. And I think the two that I gravitated to at first, I mean, it's hard to really pin down, to be honest, because there's so many good ones. I had listened to a few songs by Death before, just out of curiosity and researching things, but I never really got into Death at first. It took me several years to get into them. Um, I think probably the first was maybe Bolt Thrower. And Bolt Thrower is a fantastic choice because they're very, very, very groovy and also quite melodic while still being slightly heavier than Thrash. But um, there are certain death metal bands which basically cross over into thrash from time to time because, of course, the two genres basically started at more or less the same time and they sort of developed and coexisted along each other. It's not as if, you know, there were separate lanes instantly carved out into the land where the thrash bands created what they created and then the death bands deliberately did something different. These styles just emerged, uh, you know, quite organically because, of course, none of these bands knew exactly what it was or what genre they were they, they were making. And, you know, these were sort of pretty much uncharted waters at the time, as weird as it is to think that now, you know, 35 years removed from it. Uh, but uh, Bolt Thrower were very good. And, um, you know, there's many other bands that walk that line as well. Even newer bands, for example, such as Children of Bodom, which are, you know, very, very melodic. And you could even class them as power metal, but they certainly have, an, uh, you know, quite a, a, a heaviness to them as well. Um, and then from there, of course, I also branched out into prog metal and power metal. Of course, I was already introduced to Dream Theater via um, the drummer that I had at the time, which uh, are a very, very good band. I do tend to find that they tend to, you know, wank and noodle a little bit too much for my liking these days. Um, I think sometimes their songwriting can, uh, you know, well, the, the technical playing can get in the way of the songwriting, let's say. Um, but there's a whole massive amount of incredible prog bands, which I got into as well. Of course, it helped having the background I do, because, of course, my dad listens to a hell of a lot of prog rock as well. So, you know, maybe my ears were already accustomed to some of those things. There are certain prog bands and prog rock bands in particular, which I haven't really managed to get into as much as I'd like, primarily because I think some of the folksy, campy, you know, kind of tweeness of it. Uh, for want of, you know, for lack of a better word, kind of puts me off. So for certain Pink Floyd songs, for example, or King Crimson, I can't really get into. But there are others which I certainly like as well. But in terms of progressive metal, there are bands such as Voivod from Canada, an incredibly influential sci-fi prog band, which are very, very cool. You know, they've got some punk, uh, you know, uh, sort of uh, influences to them. And they do these incredibly weird like discordant uh, dissonant guitar chords which i'd never heard before in my entire life and they really really are are quite something special and of course that obviously then led me into vector which is basically the modern day equivalent or sort of resurrection of voivod uh but other bands as well you know bands such as uh, cynic or um i'm trying to think now what other bands i would have would have been into at the time there's all sorts. It's such a shame, really, because a lot of my old catalogue of music I used to listen to was on iTunes way back in the day. And I haven't had an Apple product for many, many a year now. Or uh, And I don't really tend to use Spotify a great deal either. But there's so many good bands out there to name but a few. Of course, if we're talking about technical power metal um, or symphonic metal, then, of course, Stratovarius has to be mentioned. They are still to this day one of my favourite bands. And... Um, the brilliant thing about them is not only are they a very, very influential classic power metal band, but they also have a hell of a lot of melody and they're definitely an interesting break if you want to get rid of all of the, you know, the super duper heavy, you know, depressive uh, themes and stuff. I, I, you know, despite what it may come across on this podcast, I um, generally am, um, personally am a very, very optimistic person, believe it or not. And uh, uh, when it comes to power metal, it's quite weird because although it's a style I heavily admire, there aren't a great deal of bands that I you know, that I have, have listened to, that I still listen to today. Stratovarius pretty much are more or less the only one. Um, Dragon Force, for example, are a bit gimmicky. Obviously, they were huge at the time when I was, uh, you know, uh, just getting into music. But uh, 
they kind of leave me wanting a bit these days but um Stratovarius, Halloween uh, those are both some of the greats and Darkmoor are a little bit of a lesser known band which were very good as well but of course Pagan's Mind are a fantastic band as well following in a similar vein to Stratovarius and Dream Theatre uh, very very interesting tasteful playing without going into the noodling uh, territory and uh, then we also have even further into the heaviness and progressive scale going more into the avant-garde style of genres of music or bands such as Deer and Grey which were an incredible Japanese visual K band which basically have all sorts of different influences, which is essentially why they are classed as avant-garde, which is also the same reason that my music is as well, because I have a lot of different different influences, different influences as well. So with Dear and Grey's music, they're very, very difficult to get into because obviously, for one thing, it isn't spoken or, or, or you know, sung in the English language. But the actual vocal ability on display here is nothing short of miraculous. Everything from high, sh- you know, shrieks to squeals to death growls to soft, soulful singing to uh, opera. It's just absolutely amazing. And of course, the riffs and everything else are on point as well. And there's some really, really cool concepts in there tracks as well so if you're after something a little bit adventurous i'd definitely uh, you know urge you to check those out and of course from there we then get into black metal as well which was the last kind of genre i ended up getting into after all of these uh, various different bands so basically i think the way i think that you know the order in which i i've basically mentioned those genres and particular bands are more or less chronologically the order i got into them uh, Black Matter wise, of course, Birdsome were one of the first bands I got into, but of course also Dark Throne and Vector have a blackened element to them as well. So I think basically the point I'm getting at here is, for me at least, the easiest way to try and get into new genres of metal that I, you know, at first wasn't really accustomed to and perhaps didn't appreciate, let's say, was to try and seek out the bands which cross over, some of the bands which are influenced by them. So, for example, if you are currently into thrash metal and you're trying to get into, uh, you know, black metal, then seek out some bands which are black and thrash, for example, Toxic Holocaust or Vector. Um, and that seems to be the easiest way because it kind of gives you a little bit of elements of both. You get a bit of something that you're already used to and appreciate, and then you also get a little bit more of the newer stuff. Um, and it basically, as I sort of mentioned at the tail end, you know, at the first start of this podcast, it helps you dip your toe in. And for me, that's what worked over time. I mean, don't get me wrong. I was somebody who was at first incredibly heavily against many things, at least or so I thought, uh, you know, 15, 20 years ago. We try now... I'm super duper into today. Um, if I could talk to my younger self and tell them that I would be not only listening to black and death metal bands on a regular basis, but also, you know, basically writing that style of music myself, I would have never, ever believed myself in a million years. So there we go, guys. I think the uh, the lesson to be learned is, you know, have an open mind and try things that you wouldn't normally try because you never know. You might just be surprised at the end of it. But there we go, guys. I think that's enough rambling on this particular topic. I don't know, to be honest, whether we'll have enough time to uh, to basically mention much more about Enveloped by the Rotten. So we're going to be doing that, if not now, then at the start of next month's episode. So again, as always, thank you so much for listening. Um, I'm going to wrap up very shortly. I need to double check exactly where we are in this podcast and, uh, you know, what kind of t- uh, song, closing song to play to wrap up for you. Um, I think I'm going to have a quick break just to sort a few things out and then we'll see where we go from there. So if you've made it this far, guys, I very much appreciate it. So hopefully it's been incredibly entertaining and useful and hopefully quite educational or at least, uh, you know, made you think slightly differently about the kind of music you're listening to and how to approach it. Um, but there we go. Give us a sec, guys. I shall be right back. So upon closer inspection, guys, it seems as though we really don't have much time left of this episode uh, at all. But just before you go, since I haven't really had a chance to talk about the album very much just yet, of course, the new one, which uh, basically comes out next month, Enveloped by the Rotten, 
Um, I thought I'd leave you a little teaser and give you an early glimpse at what that album is going to sound like. Of course, if you've ever checked out any of my previous Dungeon Synth albums, then you'll probably have a fairly good idea what it sounds like. And I'm not going to divulge any of the juicy details on it just yet, because I'm going to save that for next month's edition of the podcast as well. So next month, we're going to pretty much be talking exclusively, I imagine, about both Enveloped by the Rotten and the brand new full-length studio album, Evil Spirits, as well, which is due to come out i believe in march so uh, we've got a lot of stuff to cover a lot of ground to cover next month so to whet your appetite for that and leave you on some tender hooks we're going to play a song from the new album which will be out hopefully just after this podcast edition has been launched so there are 13 tracks on the new album um so i i've kind of got a bit of a difficult decision which one to play for you to be honest I think we're going to go with the title track um, because, well, actually, no, that's quite a long song. I think I'll save that for next month. Instead, how about we play the song uh, Spikes Wielding Heads, which is quite a nice little ditty. It's quite a nice friendly tune and uh, hopefully is just uh, short enough to actually not help this uh, episode overrun too much. So without any further ado, guys, we're going to be playing Spikes Wielding Heads from the new album, taken from the new album, Enveloped by the Rotten. Thank you, Ravis so much to all who have listened and made it this far it's really really been fun for me as always and hopefully you enjoy this new tune and hopefully you also tune in again next month for the next edition and that will be episode seven next month of the infernal symphony pestilence podcast so thanks guys take it easy and i'll catch up with you next month